0: the Diversity Delusion's destructive force, Oliver North celebrates American heroes, and country music Shenandoah performs. That's Ray Corley in the Music City Connection.
1: Uh, thank you very much and welcome to our show tonight. You know, tax proposals by some of the Democrats range from a 70% tax rate from freshman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez all the way to a 90% tax rate proposal by Joaquin Castro. Heck, let's just make it 100% and the bookkeeping gets easy. <laughs> I mean, what's even more stunning is that in recent polls... of Americans say they would support it. Now, of course, they think it won't hurt them if those taxes are only applied to people who make more money than they do. So even though those in the top 20% of the income already pay 87% of all the taxes, many Americans say, tax them even more. They can afford it. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not feeling sorry for billionaires, but though I grew up poor, My parents refused to let me think that I would somehow be better off if rich people were worse off. I mean, being envious and coveting what others have, that doesn't make me any happier. And if I were to succeed in finding a way to destroy the wealth of the really prosperous people, I mean, how does that improve my life or that of America? Personally, I think the entire tax code stinks. I really do. And here's why. Our tax code penalizes productivity and it subsidizes irresponsibility. We're taxed for our work in the form of an income tax. So the more we make, the higher, not just the tax, the higher the rate goes. Now the incentive is diminished to work if the government gets a bigger chunk based on my working harder. And we also get taxed if we save money We get taxed if we make good investments or if we're smart enough to buy things when their prices are low and then sell them when they're high. And by the way, if we die without spending all of our money and we wish to leave it to our family or our church, maybe a charity or a family farm, good old Uncle Sam sticks his hand right into our coffin and he goes for our pocket with a death tax on inheritance. Even though every bit of that money has already been taxed while we earned it, while we saved it, while we managed it, and now, even after we died. So instead of taxing our productivity, here's a little idea developed by some of the smartest economists in the country. Pay taxes when we consume rather than when we produce. After all, the strength of our economy is only possible when people work, save, invest, and share. Shouldn't the government encourage work instead of punish it? Now this plan is called the fair tax. And when I first heard about it, around 12 years ago, it made so much sense that I figured, well, the government will never do it. Makes too much sense. It's pretty simple. Instead of paying taxes when we produce, we pay tax when we consume. In other words, it's, it's like a sales tax. It eliminates all taxes on income, payroll, capital gains, inheritance, and savings. And it completely eliminates the IRS. They're gone, yes. So here's what happens. We would pay taxes when we buy stuff and not when we buy used stuff because that's already been taxed, but only new stuff. So the more we consume, the more we will pay. But I don't think we have to worry that people won't keep buying stuff. Heck, we're Americans, that's what we do. And you know who buys really expensive stuff? Rich people. So if soaking the rich is what you live for, you love the fair tax. But if you don't wanna pay a bunch of taxes, you control it by what you consume. So if we want people to work harder, save more, invest in new products and businesses, and leave something for the next generation other than a pile of overdue bills, then reward that behavior because we'll get more of it. From time to time, I'll try to tell you more about the fair tax because it isn't a Democrat or a Republican proposal. It is a common sense idea that works way better than taxing people up to 90% of their income and make them just stop working so they can live off the government. Because when that happens, it'll be just like Margaret Thatcher warned. The problem with socialism is that sooner or later, you run out of other people's money. My first guest is a combat decorated U.S. Marine. He's a number one best-selling author, he was a long-time Fox News personality, and currently is president of the National Rifle Association. Please welcome Colonel Oliver North. Colonel, so good to have you here, and I want to get right to it. You've taken over the leadership role of the National Rifle Association. Uh, controversial in itself, what led you to say, yep, I'm gonna do that?
2: Well, I, I talked to Betsy after I got hurt out in Kurdistan about a year and a half ago. Didn't want to be the cause of somebody else getting hurt. I talked to Betsy about retiring, and her comment was, you'd be here every day. So <laughs> I took the hint.
1: <laughs> you know, having met Betsy, I can completely believe what you said, that she said to you about this.
2: <laughs> yeah. We, so I, and I'm glad I did, because I got to keep company with heroes as a Marine. I grew up with a hero, my dad. All my brothers and I served in combat, and I get to keep company with heroes at the NRA, with law enforcement guys, a new TV show that we're doing on NRA TV called American
1: Heroes. And I just interviewed a couple of law enforcement officers for it down in Florida just the other day. Uh, tell me about the show. What, what are you going to be doing on this show, and uh, how is it formatted?
2: Well, I heard you just talking about Samaritan's Purse. Yes. And if you go to the first episode of our, our new series called American Heroes and click on it, you will see Dave Eubank, a true American hero, a soldier, a missionary, and he's delivering Samaritan's Purse to those people in Mosul who couldn't get any food or water whatsoever. Mm. So I stand by what you say about Samaritan's Purse. Look, at, uh, I, that's our first episode. We just shot several more. What we want to make sure is we get enough American heroes to inspire the rest of America, that we still have heroes, despite the kind of news coverage you and I see every day.
1: Well, let's talk about the NRA. Uh, Why is there such, uh, and I'll use this term, a target on the NRA from people who somehow think they're responsible for gun crimes?
2: Well, let me me give you an example. Uh, The governor of New York has vowed to bankrupt the NRA, put us out of business. And what the governor of New York is doing is using all the instruments of power because, look, all we do at the Second Amendment, all we do in the NRA is to defend freedom, the Second Amendment, and teach people the safe use of firearms. That's all we do. But we're a convenient target when crazies go off and do things like school shootings or mass killings, and they blame the NRA as though we somehow, or the Second Amendment, is a problem. It's not. We are the defenders of the Second Amendment, and the governor of New York is using the full instrument of all the power of government to shut us down. His attorney general is working on it, is now Department of Financial Services. And what they've done is intimidated our co-sponsors, our corporate partners, our members, the insurers, our financial relationships in an effort to shut us down. And so we've said we're going to file a a lawsuit against you, and we've done so in the state of New York and federal court to defend our right to have a, a, a position on the First Amendment. It's probably gonna end up in the Supreme Court of the United States. We will be forever grateful at that point for two pro-Second Amendment justices on that Supreme Court.
1: What on earth has happened to America when a government can use its unlimited resources to tax people to turn on its own citizens?
2: If the governor of New York can succeed in restricting our rights to speak about the importance of the Second Amendment, all the other nine of those Bill of Rights are in jeopardy. The the reality of it is those instruments of power are being used to push an agenda that is so draconian. What they ultimately want to do in in this this new organization that we've got is it's not just the Second Amendment. It's an effort to turn America into Venezuela. And so the ACLU has come in on our side in this viewpoint discrimination lawsuit. As you know, that's not going to be cheap, and we're out there trying to get folks to give us the the money we're going to need to take this all the way to the Supreme Court.
1: That is powerful if the ACLU is on your side. It it, it really says a lot. One of my favorite uh, features in the monthly magazine that I get as a member of the NRA, one that I think is worth the admission, is, is one called the Armed Citizen, and it tells every month of people who have defended their property and their families and their homes uh, because they were prepared uh, to confront uh, a criminal we don't hear these stories in the mainstream media why not well first of all i think the
2: mainstream media is going right along with the flow of the of the new powers in in washington this the socialist democrat isn't just in washington dc in the house of representatives today it's all across this land it's not just about gun control. It is ultimately all about disarming America. That's why we've got to fight this lawsuit, and we've got to win.
1: Well, I hope you do for all of our sakes. Uh, you make me proud to be a member of the NRA. I have been for a long time oh. to be proud of it, but more so than ever, and I know it's in good hands. Colonel, delighted to have you here. Let me remind our audience the you, f- first episode of Oliver North's American Heroes, available to view at TV.. You can also find his books, columns, speaking engagements, social media accounts, and more at olivernorth.com. All right, Keith Bilbrey is standing on the wall, keeping watch for what we have coming up tonight.
0: Coming up, we'll hear from Sheila Ray Gregoire on the devastation of pornography on millennials. Country Music's Leroy Van Dyke goes Diner Diving with Mike, and later... Political commentator Heather McDonald takes on the diversity delusion. All that and more tonight on Huckabee.
1: And welcome back. Got a little James Brown living in America coming back here. Hey, did you, I don't know if you know this or not, but pornography used to be hidden away from innocent eyes, but today it is everywhere from the internet all the way to music videos. But you may not know it can ruin your marriage. It can even alter your brain. Sheila Ray Gregoire is one of the most popular bloggers on the internet, and she was here recently to tell us how to escape the plague of pornography. Take a look. How big an issue is pornography?
3: Okay, so let me give you some stats. Okay. 20 years ago, if you had surveyed couples, you would have found in about 15% of marriages, the guy had no sex drive. Hmm. Okay, now that's not normally what we think of, right? Like when you think about marriage, you think he wants it all the time, and she doesn't want to. But 15% of marriages, he had no sex drive. Today, do you know what that figure is? No. It's closer to 30, 35%. Doubled. Yeah. Why? And the only difference between then and now is pornography. Really? Yeah.
1: Why would the presence of pornography actually diminish sex drive? I know, for that's a man. weird,
3: right? Because yeah. we think that porn is sexy and so it'll make them want it more, but that's not what happens at all. So, imagine a little 11-year-old boy and he sees porn for the first time maybe at a friend's house, maybe by accident googling something, and he's interested, he doesn't want to be, but he looks at it again, and he develops a habit over the teenage years. Now, you're 11, you're 12, you're 13, that's around the average age of first exposure today, and your brain is just starting to develop sexual feelings and all of that, and now you're pairing those sexual feelings with an image. Mm -hmm. And then you start pairing sexual response with that image, and your brain actually gets rewired so that what's attractive is a picture, a video, a fantasy, rather than a real person. Mm. And you get married thinking, well, once I'm married, I won't need the porn anymore, but you've totally wrecked your libido, and you've changed the neural pathways in your brain so that you can't get aroused by your wife.
1: So you've done a biological number on your own body.
3: That's right, and you've made sex into something which is completely about yourself and it's no longer about a relationship Wow! and sex is supposed to be intimate you know physically spiritually emotionally all those things wrapped up and instead sex has become solely about the body and then it can't be about intimacy in fact if you try to make it about a relationship you make it not sexy anymore
1: you know sheila when we're talking about pornography we're talking about something that robs people and takes them away as you call it, from the intimacy, but really from even God's design for what it's supposed to be. How do, yeah. people, how do people fix this? Can it be yeah. fixed? It
3: can, but I think we need to realize something, okay? okay. Billions of people on this planet have had sex. Hmm. I don't know how many have really made love. Wow. Because we have completely distorted it. And the only way to bring it back to making love is to understand that sex is about a deep connection which means it has to be about a relationship and about vulnerability mm. and I think couples can go through a lot of exercises that's why I brought this book along and 31 days to great sex some of the exercises are about how to rebuild that kind of intimacy again that you need um, but we need to start talking about porn differently OK, we did it with smoking, right? Like yeah. we wanted people to quit smoking. So we said smoking is yeah. disgusting. And eventually people understood. So we need to start saying porn is pathetic. OK, if, if you need to use porn, that is pathetic. <laughs> and just start changing the conversation.
1: Because what that really is doing, and you said this a moment ago, it's like a person making love to himself or herself mm-hmm. using some artificial mm-hmm. magazine or a video or an Internet. Uh, yeah, yeah image, as opposed to having a relationship with another human being.
3: Yeah, and I mean, pornography, first of all, porn fuels the sex trade, Uh, it fuels sex trafficking, it's terrible in and of itself for those reasons, and those are bad enough reasons. (laughs) But even when, when you look at the relationship, Porn changes sex so that you're really using someone else as a sex toy rather than having that intimate relationship. And you're never gonna benefit a marriage with pornography. A lot of couples think, oh, well, if we wanna spice things up, we should just watch porn together. No, you know what the sexiest thing to do together is? People are not gonna believe me when I say this, okay? But trust me on this one. The sexiest thing to do together is to pray because you're being vulnerable with each, with each other if you start to pray together you're gonna get really hot for each other and mm. you, know, you really
1: are probably hadn't heard that a lot in the show <laughs> <No. sermon. laughs> and,
3: and, uh, but but it is true yeah. because when we pull back the veil and we let you know our spouse see this is what I'm really concerned with and we you know you, you feel closer you know I started to love honor and vacuum years ago and I was mostly talking about parenting and marriage and then when I started talking about sex the traffic really picked up, because yeah. people do have that one-track mind, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, we need a safe place to talk about this stuff, and so porn is one of the biggest things that keeps coming up, and what we're seeing increasingly now is that it isn't just guys, it's mm. women too, and so if you're a parent at home, get internet controls on your, on your um, computers make every device charge in the kitchen at night so they don't have the computers and phones in their rooms but like let's do something about this because this is serious and it's wrecking millennial marriages let's not make it wreck generation Z marriages
1: too it's why we love having you because you have uh, an extraordinary level of information but given with a level of candor that we just don't see that often and sheila you're welcome to come back for your third time, and I hope you do too. Excellent. Soon.
3: My thanks to <laughs>
1: Sheila Ray Gregoire. So for practical points on how to keep your marriage solid and raise great kids, visit to com. Also, be sure to check out her speaking dates and all the terrific books, including 31 Days to Great Sex. Now, Keith, I'd sure love it if you told our fine audience what else we might have for them. Coming up next.
0: Well, next, Mike finds the funny in the news, and later, Huck's hero, Brandon Krastowski, teaches former criminals how to change their lives with French cuisine. Plus, the country music stars of Shenandoah perform on Huckabee.
1: Be sure to join in the Children's Heart Project with Samaritan's Purse. Now you just saw the little girl in Mongolia whose life was saved because people just like you cared and they gave generously. There are many more boys and girls all across the globe that Samaritan's Purse is ready to help, but they need your prayers and they need your support. I hope you'll open your heart and give a generous gift to keep the Children's Heart Project going strong. Now, when you do, you're going to be joining with me and many other viewers of this show, who bring help, healing, and hope, all in Jesus' name. Well, now from crazy culinary moments to stories that will make you think nice, we've got them all in a segment that we like to call "In Case You Missed It." Well, a world record was broken recently in the nation of Kuwait. No, it was not in camel racing. Petroleum sales wasn't even in skyscrapers in the desert. No, a couple made history for the shortest marriage in Kuwait, and probably the whole world, divorcing three minutes after their marriage began. Hey, forget no-fault divorce. This has to be no-thought divorce. Here's what happened. Last month, the young couple had just signed their marriage papers before a judge, and they were headed out of the courthouse with a blissful life ahead of them. But then the bride accidentally tripped, and rather than gallantly helping his beautiful bride up to her feet, the groom insulted her and said she was stupid for losing her balance. The woman had an epiphany of what the future is going to be like with her rude and newly minted husband, so she headed right back into the courthouse and had the judge dissolve the marriage immediately, all of three minutes after joining them together. This shattered the former record that was held by a Dubai couple of 15 minutes of marriage. Well, look, I'm not a proponent of divorce, but if that disrespectful guy was starting off life together by insulting his newlywed wife rather than cherishing her... What were the next 50 years gonna be like? Future grooms as a veteran of almost 45 years of marriage, let me give you the seven secret words that will make your marriage successful. Get ready to write them down. Get your pen out, write these down. This is important, here they are. You know, dear, you are absolutely right. Hey, do you ever get so busy that you didn't wash your hair for a couple of days? I mean, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Feels kind of yucky. Well, what if you went 20 years without washing your hair? Ugh. Here is a hair-raising story about an artist over in England by the name of Frankie Clooney, who hasn't washed her six-foot-long locks in over 7,300 days. Miss Clooney says she only needs to comb her hair thoroughly to keep it fresh and lovely. She started growing her hair at age six and hated washing and drying it, So after the first couple of months of greasiness and itchy scalp, she says both problems went away. Now Mrs. Clooney does face the challenge of tangles in her six foot long train, but she takes about 30 minutes to get the knots out and then she uses that as a time of meditation. One of her favorite things is that her hair absorbs smells and scents. So it reminds her where she's been and who she was with. Let's just hope she has lots of well-groomed, fresh-smelling friends in her life. Now, she's 32 years old. She said she hasn't had her hair trimmed since she was 18. So here's fair warning to all those English hair salons. Only four more years until this modern Rapunzel looks you up for an appointment to let down her hair. Good luck with that one. (laughs) All right, Americans love all the creative flavors of potato chips these days, things like wasabi-flavored, biscuits and gravy, and spicy salsa, just to name a few. But over in Hong Kong, they've come up with one that even Lay's potato chips hasn't tried, World War I grenade flavor. <laughs> okay, let me explain. Over in France, a World War I hand grenade was accidentally harvested with some potatoes and shipped to a potato chip company in Hong Kong. Thankfully, a machine at their factory figured out one of the alleged potatoes packed a bigger kick than the rest of them. (laughs) The German-made grenade was in an unstable condition and had to be diffused by the Hong Kong police. A Chinese military historian stated that many hand grenades are left behind during bombardments. Wartime relics deteriorate from time, as well as from weather, but the explosive mechanism can remain intact inside the device. So one word of caution to Hong Kong importers of produce, If you bring in watermelons, I'd steer clear bringing any of them in from France, just thinking about it. (laughs) Now, staying with the culinary news, those cute little creatures in the trees of your neighborhood are landing in the plates of your restaurant. I'm talking squirrel. It's what's for dinner. I mean, can you hear Sam Elliott swapping that one out for beef? Well, a London chef is offering a special lasagna with gray squirrel as the meat in the recipe. And to think that people made fun of me when I confessed that in college I'd go out squirrel hunting and then I'd fry the freshly obtained meat in my dorm room using an old-fashioned popcorn popper. I really did that. You say, that's kind of redneck. You ever tried it? Well, Ivan Tisdell Downs, chef of the restaurant native, said that he struck a deal with his wild boar supplier to obtain the gray squirrel carcasses that have been an invasive species that were complements of North America. Chef Tisdell Downs sees the bright side of the influx of the gray squirrels saying, it almost tastes the same as rabbit. Hey, at least he didn't say chicken. <laughs> and he also says it's a healthy and lean meat. Now, while gray squirrels are the rage in lasagna over in Britain, The bad news is they've been causing a reduction in the native red squirrel population there. Well, no matter what the color, I think the idea of squirrel in my lasagna is nuts. I mean, I hunted and ate squirrels a lot when I was a kid, and that's the meat we had is either fried squirrel or in a stew that we call squirrel mulligan back in Arkansas. But when people ask me how it tastes, I usually just say, well, it ain't something you'd wanna order off the menu. And finally, an innovative breakthrough in the world of business. Open offices can make it difficult to find some personal spaces, but no more, thanks to the Thought Box. For only $650, you can purchase this cardboard and fabric box to slide over your head at work so you can enjoy some privacy. (laughs) The Thought Box comes with a thought stool to sit on while you wear it as well as a pair of earplugs to complete your private getaway in your public workspace. All of it is available from the Form Emporium online. I know a lot of you are writing that down because you want to order one. The thought box is probably made in Great Britain with an internal helmet to adjust to your head size and five interchangeable fabrics so that the outside of it matches your fashion sense. And I'm sure that you're Thoughts might not be far behind to put in a jar that they will also sell you. Well, the description of the thought box promises to promote mental efficiency. if it actually benefits people mentally, I'm thinking me, we may just wanna buy one of these for each and every member of our Congress. What do you think, huh? Great idea. Well, like the Congress of the United States, hey, we run out of time to accomplish anything productive. But we must remind you of one pressing issue. We read the news. There we go. He has entertained audiences for well over half a century, and he is still at it today. His name is Leroy Van Dyke, and he's one of the most accomplished musicians of all time. Recently, I had the chance to sit down with Leroy, eat some amazing food, no squirrels there and to talk about his amazing career. Here is my Diner Dive with Leroy Van Dyke. Well, we are at Courtney's Restaurant in beautiful Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And I have the privilege of being with one of the great, great legends of country music, Leroy Van Dyke. Leroy, what an honor to be with you. Thank you for joining me here at Courtney's. This is the pleasure. Well, I, I have been listening to your music forever. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that the auctioneer, kind of your signature song, came out in 1956. Yes. Leroy, I was I was a year old then, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was an old guy. But that song's been around a while. It's been a, yeah, I've been in business. Of, I'm into my 63rd year. Wow. Not many people have been able to sustain a career like you have. What's What's the secret? Don't die. Well, so far, still got a pulse. I guess I'm doing all right.
4: I never took a drink in my life.
1: Is that right?
4: Never smoked. never took any drugs. And I'm not starting today.
1: I want to go back to the song, The Auctioneer, because I mean, it is one of the icons, not just of your career, but really in country music. You wrote that song.
4: I wrote it while I was in Korea. I was running up and down those dusty roads in the Jeep. And this song started coming to me out of the air. I don't know where it came from. Mm. And I ignored it. And that's happened about four times. And finally I said, somebody's trying to tell me something. This song is coming out of the air to me. So I went back to my tent and started writing this song. It's a true story of a man named Ray Sims, who was a second cousin of mine, the world's best livestock auctioneer. But the song is a true story, except for one word where it says there was a boy in Arkansas. <laughs> Nothing rhymes with Missouri. Yeah So I, I went to my, I went to your
1: home state. I was gonna say, well, those of us in Arkansas were always really proud that you uh, you know dipped south enough just to name the uh, auctioneer from there. I just want to tell you how much I feel honored and blessed and thrilled. To have the privilege of getting to meet you and be with you here at courtney's restaurant we love your daughter thank you
4: and i think you're a very smart man because i agree with everything you say
1: <laughs> and i want to affirm how smart you really are Leroy, because if you agree with me you are one smart son of a gun that is for sure yeah but it's a pleasure we,
4: we see all your shows on, on tv and it's, it's just like an old friend oh
1: thank you there's no greater compliment than that looks like it's hey oh my gosh look at there tom great seeing you delighted to be at your restaurant i love locally owned restaurants sir that are run by people that care about their customers know who their customers are live in that community and make or break it by how well they do what got you into the restaurant business
2: Oh, I was born into it. My uh, family's in the restaurant business uh, from a kid on. Uh, I grew a passion for it in my uh, early, well, pre-teens and through my teenage years. Um, but funny enough, my first biscuit I ever ate in my life uh, was at the Englewood Mrs. Winters in, in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I'm from Miami, Florida. So we moved <laughs> up here when I was 13, and that was my first biscuit.
1: Now, Courtney does a lot of, I guess, what I call comfort food, right? Chicken yes, sir. and dumplings and oh, meatloaf yes, and sir. a meat and three kind of place, right? Yes, sir. This makes me feel at home, well, makes and me I feel love the too. fact that you serve it with uh, an extraordinary level of precision and love. I hope Leroy's enjoying it half as much as me. You notice I'm not talking, I'm eating. <laughs> me too, I'm gonna get back to it. We're at Courtney's Restaurant, Mount Juliet, and uh, if you're anywhere near Mount Juliet, Tennessee, I'd urge you to come by and have some real food by some folks who love serving it to you. We're glad you could join us for a little breakfast today. Our special thanks to Tom of Courtney's Restaurant for the incredible omelet and the food. To visit Courtney's and have your own diner dive when you're in the Nashville area, go to Courtney'sMountJuliet.com. And to keep up with Leroy Van Dyke and see him in concert, visit LeroyVanDyke.com. Hey, Keith, what are we going to be diving into next? Well, head first,
0: coming up, New York Times bestselling author Heather McDonald and the destruction of young minds. Then our Huck's hero changes lives with culinary skills. And later, country music Shannon performs on Huckabee.
1: My next guest is a national best-selling author, the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and a contributing editor of City Journal. She's also been the target of violent student protests for her work. Her writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the New Republic, just to name a few. She's written a powerful book on how academia is taking the issue of diversity to the extreme. And the result is ordering a disruption of our culture and traditional views. Please welcome Ms. Heather McDonald. Heather, it's a real pleasure having you with us and your book is explosive and powerful and much needed today. I wanna jump right into it. Identity politics, racial tension, battles over diversity. They seem to just be wearing us out. Why is it that we are suddenly thrust into all of these issues about identity politics and race?
5: Well, because this has been simmering on college campuses for the last four decades, people haven't been paying closely enough attention, and unfortunately things are now coming to a head. From the moment a student steps on a college campus today, a massive diversity bureaucracy gets its talons into him to convince him that he's either an oppressed class or an oppressor class. Uh, and students are being taught to hate each other, to hate the greatest works of Western civilization, and that mentality of victimology, of delusional sense of oppression is following students into the real world and it is dividing our society into these completely irrelevant categories of race, gender, sexual orientation, when what should matter about an individual is his individual talents, his, his interests and his passions, not the irrelevancies of gonads and melanin.
1: I can't help but think that uh, a lot of parents are completely unaware of what's happening to their students when they send them off to college and they're writing these huge checks.
5: Most don't, but I fear, Governor Huckabee, that even if they did, they wouldn't really care because college campuses today are the most tolerant environments in human history for society's traditionally marginalized groups, and yet a massive bureaucracy, which is why tuition is so grotesquely expensive, is committed to this idea that campuses are lethally dangerous to students of color and females. So we have today a culture of hysterical narcissism again it has destroyed humanistic learning on college campuses but it is now destroying civil peace
1: i'm a child of the sixties it was the college campuses that really were pushing the notion of true diversity what on earth happened since then
5: well the sixties were not so healthy on a, a period governor huckabee in fact that was the start of the madness because you had unfortunately the civil rights movement quickly morphed into black power. You had demands for black studies programs uh, based on nothing other than skin color again, of, of the student body and the prof- professoriate. Uh, and, and eventually you got feminists joining the victim train. The most extraordinary thing that people have been resistant to accepting uh, that's been happening in the last decade or two, Governor Huckabee, is the incursion of racial and gender identity politics into science fields. Every science department in the country now is under enormous pressure from the federal government and from a school's own diversity enforcers to hire by gender and race as opposed to merit. cancer researcher at an Ivy League medical school was berated by his supervisor for giving a pharmacology exam that was too, quote, fact-based. Well, I don't know about you, but if I've got cancer, I want my doctor to know the facts of drug interactions.
1: Heather, I've got less than a minute, but I've got to ask you, if I'm a parent of a college kid, what do I do?
5: I would urge parents, observe what your student is learning, try to help him choose courses that at least have a a reading list that will expose them to eloquence and to beauty to tragedy to humor to wit to irony don't don't assume that your student is capable of choosing the greatest works and don't assume that the faculty are living up to their basic intellectual responsibility of leading students to wisdom. They are not. It's on your shoulders and I would also put in a word to alumni uh, please do not send another cent to your alma mater unless you have done due diligence and have persuaded yourself that your school is still committed to passing on the inheritance of Western civilization.
1: Outstanding advice from an outstanding author of an amazing book, Heather McDonald. I want to say to our audience, you must, and I repeat, you must get this book, The Diversity Delusion. Read it and then share it with a friend. This book is one of the few that I've ever seen that reveals the truth and also tells how the academic ivory towers of our universities are actually threatening the individual as well as Free speech. And you can also follow Heather McDonald at HMD at MI. All right, Keith, I hope you're going to take a moment now to identify what's coming up in the rest of the show tonight.
0: Well, coming up, Huck's hero Brandon Krastowski, Then go to Leavenworth, Washington for festival fun. And country music great Shannon Dore perform on Huckabee.
1: Well, if you're looking for a very wonderful Valentine's gift that will leave a lasting memory, give your special someone a memory for all time. Join my wife and me for a luxurious cruise to the beautiful Scandinavian nations in the Baltic Sea this August. The entire ship is ours and we're gonna enjoy great teaching, music, entertainment, and some spectacular visits to some of the most beautiful places on earth, including Sweden, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, and the stunning city of St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh, but don't worry, no collusion. But you will marvel at the sights and the experiences. So for all the information, go to thegreatesttrip.com. That's thegreatesttrip.com. Sign up today while there is still space. Now imagine that you're fresh out of prison, looking for a job and wondering if you'll ever get the second chance that you so desperately search for. Well, there is a place in Cleveland, Ohio that offers that second chance. Tonight's Huck's Hero is an amazing chef trained in the art of second chances. Let's meet tonight's Huck's Hero.
6: According to the FBI, one in three people have been affected some way in shape or form um, with an infraction or in prison or in jail or, you know, an arrest or a release. It, it, one in three people. So I think that if you looked around a room of six people, you could say, hey, there's, there's good people around me today. You know, you're stripped of your freedom. You, you also lose a bit of dignity and esteem. A big part of what happens here is not, not just that hope and a way to achieve it, but it's really um, in building esteem with velocity. It's, it's redignifying uh, you know, who someone is or who someone wants to be. Edwin's is a second chance. This is where I'm supposed to be. This was a godsend.
7: Actually, this is a whole new chapter in my life, and Edwin's is the first part of it. Whatever going on in your life, you can come here and you can forget about that. Just do what, uh, do what Edwin's needs you to do.
2: Saved my life. Kept me from going back into incarceration. I'm one of its graduates. There's not a lot of people out there who want to take people who have been in rougher situations, who have made mistakes, and give them a second chance. We have dorms and housing for both alumni and active students. They can work out, they can use our books, they can practice food in our prep kitchens. Next door is our butcher shop. The butcher shop is extending the mission here because it's allowing some of the better
1: students that prove themselves here to go there to learn one more skill set.
6: Anytime I've looked at someone, I've never looked at who they are and and, and where they've been. It's always who they are and where they want to go. Always looking at someone as managing their potential. Not managing right who they are now in the past, it's managing where you can go.
1: Edwin's is an incredible, intimate French dining experience whose main course is hope. Would you please welcome its founder and CEO, our Huxie Road Brandon Krostowski. Brandon, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Brandon, what was the moment that made you say, I need to be doing something like this for other people?
6: Yeah. Yeah, I remember exactly. I was working in Manhattan on 55th and Park Avenue. And I was going to work and I got this phone call from a chef who mentored me back home. And he said the sous chef just got murdered. He wow. said over over five dollars because he someone wanted to cut his lawn and then he ended up paying it. It was just it was something so ridiculous. And I said to myself, here I am in the in the midst of Manhattan working in the finest restaurant and, and someone that I care so deeply about that helped teach me is now no longer here. And I said there's gotta be a way to fix
1: this. Mm. You have uh, a simple phrase, it's kind of your philosophy, make it happen. That's right. So what does that mean, make it happen? Exactly that, Gov, make it happen.
6: So um, uh, Charlie Trotter is the one who really instilled that within me, and he told me you can make anything happen with what you have and he would um, intentionally give you less tools to do a job so mentally you know you can make it work. Mm. So anytime that we see a problem, we attack it and we make it happen. We don't sit around, uh, over, over-complicate it, think about it. We just drink the water and run. And, and so that's what led to, uh, to building housing. That's what led to, uh, to a butcher shop. That's what led to being in, in 13 different prisons. We just keep seeing the, a need and a problem and we make it happen, no excuses.
1: Edwin's is a first-class <laughs> upscale French <laughs> restaurant for heaven's sakes. How difficult is it to get folks trained in the culinary arts at, at that level of sophistication? So when you take someone who's hungry, who's uh, who's
6: ready, who, who's got a great perspective and reflection of themselves, uh, it's very easy to
1: equip someone with the, the, the part of the skills, and that's what we do at Edwin's. Now, do people, when they come to Edwin's, do they know that the background of most of the staff are people who've been in prison and... Does it bother them?
6: And what they find out at the end of the meal is that there's a mission behind it. Uh, Oftentimes people do, uh, but when they don't, they're they're very happy, they say, this is amazing. Uh, Because every year, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people being released from our our correctional system. And and that's just so much more help that we have to provide and hope that we have to offer.
1: You know, the thing that I admire most, you did not give up on these people and a lot of people, including many of their own families gave up on them. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing for them and for the rest of the country means these folks are not going to be back out there committing crime. They're going to have a productive, useful, yeah. and prosperous life. Brandon, that's the reason you're our wrote hero tonight. <laughs> We're so delighted <laughs> oh, to have you. you here. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you need a second chance, maybe you'd like to donate or even taste their wonderful menu. You can visit Edwinsrestaurant.org to learn more and be sure check out the full-length documentary about Edwin's mission at Knife Skills Them Movie, KnifeskillsThemovie.com. By the way, it's had an Academy Award nomination in the documentary field. Now, I bet you've got <laughs> cravings for Wiener Schnitzel and potato pancakes after all that. Must be because of where we're headed this week for our kind of town. Well, if you've been looking for
0: a Bavarian wonderland getaway, we've got just the town to fulfill your wanderlust, Leavenworth, Washington. Initially settled in the late 19th century, Leavenworth has developed marvelously since its humble beginnings. The entire downtown area reflects Bavarian inspiration at every turn. You'll feel as if you're in another country with the benefit of being able to understand the shopkeeps. And the hundreds of miles of trails winding through forests, mountains, and rivers aren't a bad side either. Put your holiday spirit back on with a visit to the Nutcracker Museum. With over 5,000 nutcrackers, this eclectic collection has no problem cracking even the toughest nut. And you definitely don't want to miss Leavenworth's Bavarian Ice Fest. Thousands of people from all over will gather to make and gawk at snow and ice sculptures. There'll even be snowball fights, ice fishing, and a game of schmoosing whatever that is. To commemorate the success of another Ice Fest, you'll get to see a spectacular fireworks show at the last day of the event. Now, if you're not a fan of the cold, then make plans to listen, dance, and compete in the Accordion Festival that takes place each June. To tell you everything about Leavenworth would take all day. You could even golf with a goat, after all. But with breathtaking beauty everywhere you look and a hodgepodge of events all year round to boot, you can't go wrong whenever you choose to visit. And with the joyful spirit of Bavaria on full display, you'll agree that Leavenworth, Washington is our kind of town.
1: Thank you, Keith. Makes me want to go visit Leavenworth. And by the way, we want to say thanks to Visit Leavenworth for their help in this story. Be sure that you plan a visit out there sometime soon. Go to their website, leavenworth.org. That's how you can find out more information. Well, Keith may or he may not be in Lederhosen right now. Boy, I hope he isn't. But either way, he is standing by to let us know what's coming up next. So Keith, what we got? That's why I'm behind the podium.
0: Get ready to dance. Country music star, Shenandoah performs next on Huckabee.
1: Well, my next guests have won multiple awards in country music. They have 13 number one hits like Church on Cumberland Road. Two dozen roses, and I want to be loved like that. Please welcome back to our show one of our favorites, Shenandoah. (laughs) So Marty, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you back. Brother, it's good to be back at the show. It's been about a year. What all have you guys been up to since uh, we last met? We got a a brand new bunch of music that, uh, in fact, we'll be doing the new one
7: here in just a second. And, and The
1: new tune that you've got coming out is really spectacular. Uh, and it's gonna be available everywhere.
7: Yes, sir. That's right. And, and uh, you know, we just
1: uh, we just continue to try to get out there and entertain folks as much as we possibly can. Well, we love you guys here. We're thrilled to have you back. And as Shenandoah gets ready to perform a song called A Little Bit of Living," Keith, I want you to tell the folks at home how they can get this song and stay connected. With Shenandoah.
0: And that is something you'll want to do for concert schedules, music downloads, and more. Go to ShenandoahBand.com. You can also buy their hit songs on iTunes. Now, here to perform is Shenandoah! A
7: little sip of something on a Friday night A little buzz of burning never felt so right A little thing gonna let you by sipping something on a Friday night. A little bit of nothing on a long, hard day. Watching all your troubles just drift away. Skip a couple of rocks, count a couple waves. A little bit of nothing goes a long way. You know, life can be so tough. But it don't have to be. There's more to live in than just. A mere catastrophe, it's all oh, the smart. me a little bit of this and a little bit of that a little bit will be the best you ever had if you ain't got a little bit to get you some a little bit of living never killed (laughs) no a little bit of grass between your little bitty toes a little smile beneath your little little nose watch the world turning nice and slow little bit of grass You to be all the small